in a world where people slap other people and the world is set on fire in a world where the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is talked about for reasons they don't want to be talked about. We exist. Welcome to our post-Oscars recap on the Movies on the Brain podcast. And with me tonight is my good friend and scorekeeper for the ages. Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and slaptastic week on the Movies on the Brain podcast. Yes, okay. ladies and gentlemen, we too on the Movies on the Brain podcast can't get enough of the memes of, you know, the slap heard around the world as it's being called. Chad texted me because I was at work and uh, couldn't actually watch the slap live, but he texted me and I wasn't really interested in the slap. I was like, why is this man not sending me winners? And then I realized after work how big of a deal the slap apparently was. So Chad, let's gather around ye old campfire and talk about the slap. What were your thoughts on the slap? All right, I'm glad we're getting this out of the way first because um, it's it's probably right around 24 hours since the slap happened, and I'm sick and tired of the slap already. But uh, to walk you through that moment since you weren't able to watch it live, so. We're sitting there, and this is for, like, the first time since I've been really watching the Oscars. This is the first time that I've watched it with uh, the girl and, and the mom all at once. We were all watching the Oscars, and actually, the mom went off to bed, but she was still watching it and commenting from the other room. So we're just sitting there, and Chris Rock is on the stage. And, oh, for context, earlier in the night, somebody else did something, and I could tell that it, I knew it was on tape delay. But the way they did the delay, it's it seems like there's a, a mess, like the the broadcast messed up is like a, a skip, not like a skip, but it's it feels like a video distortion and then it's like nothing and then it comes right back. And I'm like, okay, that's a seven second delay. I don't know who said it, what it was. I didn't even bother telling them that what that was. I just knew. So that's the context leading into this. So Chris Rock is up there, he says his little joke. We see the the cut to uh, the table of Will Smith and Jada. And for context on that, they are the table closest to the stage. Like the, they're, Chris Rock is on the big stage and there's like a little runway that comes down and right where that runway is, Will Smith is sitting right there. He's the closest person to the stage all night. So uh, Chris Rock says a little joke. Will is kind of smiling, but I, I didn't even look at him when they cut to the camera to Jada. To, to both of them, I looked straight at Jada and Jada looked, she rolled her eyes and it was this, the, the look of somebody that just was like, oh, I got to deal with this dude again. And then they cut away and then you just see Will Smith walking up the stage and the way he's walking up and the way Chris Rock is looking at him, it's like, oh, this is a bit. So this whole thing was to set up a bit and the way he cocked back and it was an overdramatic slap. So I really thought it was a bit until that distortion came back. And it was the longest distortion like ever. I was like, oh, this, this might be something real, but I'm still not sure. But it, it was the picture and sound were distorted and gone for like 15 seconds. And then when it comes back in, Chris Rock is just saying, this is the uh, biggest the biggest night, thing that happened in yeah biggest night biggest in night in television history yeah yeah and I'm like 
can that that can't be real? So I'm immediately ahead for the tweets and everybody saying the same thing. Did all your fees sh- cut out? Did that really happen? Was that really a bit? And then within five minutes, everybody's like, yes, it, that's, it was real. And then that's when all of the, the foreign language fees started coming in and I got to watch the whole thing. And I can't, like, I woke up this morning. I was like, that really couldn't have happened. That just seems like something like Will Smith, this person that has been in our, all our lives for like 40 years. Oh, well, thir- well, pushing 40 years. Yeah. Uh, has this well manicured image is like the consummate good guy. Nobody really has anything bad to say about him. He really walked off stage, walked on stage, the many in the middle of the Academy Awards, and slapped Chris Rock on a night when everybody was sure he was winning the Oscars. And it just it took over. It took over the show. That's what all the tweets were about. After that, I mean, we, we were still getting awards and you can, but you can kind of, you knew the people in the room knew, everybody knew, and it didn't, and it, and the fact that Will stayed there the whole time and like, he was, you could tell, he was just like, yeah, I had to do that. I came sat back down and like, now I'm back in the show, but everybody else is like, dude, we just watched you pimp slap Chris Rock. So it took over the show. It has since taken over everything about the Oscars since then and it I I guess I'll never forget that moment uh for forever just like I was completely shocked that it happened uh but now I'm at the point that I really like once we're done talking about it I don't ever want to talk about this again ever ever so I since when did you actually see it uh since I know you didn't see it uh like live saw the uh saw the video at 1 a.m um my first impressions were i think disbelief um shock and i think and I think the reason that those come to my mind um is because this wasn't like he was just some presenter right this wasn't like he was just there to perform a song or something this man was there knowing, walking into the theater, knowing the weight of what he was about to, to achieve. Like, he, he is now an Oscar winner. Like, no one can take that from him ever, although apparently they're going to try. Some people are going to try. Like, he is an Oscar winner, and deservedly so for the performance. And the idea that, like, it would have been, like, it would have been like Denzel Washington going up to um, Halle Berry on that night in 2002 and causing Halle Berry to have a world drum malfunction in the middle of her speech. It's like, that just doesn't happen. Like, you know, you're going to win. Why? Like, so, and then when I saw the video and I, I saw Will's reaction, I was like, okay, so homeboy got told something. He, homeboy got told that she was disrespected and that she felt a certain kind of way and that she wanted some respect put on their name. And so all he did was go up there and do the thing that the wife told him to do, which was put some respect on the name. And what Will Smith said after the slap 
which was exactly that. Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. <laughs> Put some respect on our name. And so if you look at the people watching in the background, you see the shock, you see the awe. It's not, it's clearly not a, a bit. Um, you're reading the, so ordinarily we're sitting here nearly 24 hours removed from the Academy Awards. And we're talking about the voting and we're talking about the categories and we're talking about the speeches and we're, we're talking about like what one best picture and you know how about this amazing speech from this particular actor or we're talking about some j bad joke like uh i saw your boobs you know that is just done in horrible taste that just bombs the entire audience um i'm disappointed i want i missed the telecast because a i love wanda sykes and B, Wanda Sykes really should have skewered somebody after, after the Will Smith slap. But, um, and we can get into the hosting thing in a bit, but like, for me, this was just like, the joke fit the type of humor they were using throughout the telecast. The joke was probably written for C Chris Rock and not an ad lib. Oh no, and they said they said it's an ad lib. Okay, well, if it's they, that, that could also then be them trying to take some heat off themselves because <laughs> no one wants to be the guy that, yeah, I wrote that joke. <laughs> um, it fit the tone in the tenor of what the humor had been. It also just not only did it fit the, the tone and the tenor of the, of the broadcast and the humor that was being used, but it also they had a working relationship. They've been friends for a long time. So I just thought it was one friend ribbing another. And then apparently it went too far. Um, so like the most awkward part of the whole deal is that he has to give a speech accepting the Oscar afterwards. And we're here on this night where we normally talk about all those other people and we're not. But one thing that we that is never going to change, regardless of what happens to the Academy Awards are the morning after post-mortem THR trade pages. Like THR and Variety both had pieces up on this immediately after it happened. And this morning talking about what happened and the backstory with the Academy and all the rest of it. And it's interesting that we're now getting the story that the Academy members, like the Board of Governors, the producers were so spread out across the room they couldn't congregate in one place to make a decision about kicking Will out of the mood, out of the theater. So, I mean, it, it's, they got the headlines they wanted. They got a 50%, 52% increase from last year. Still was not able to top pre-pandemic numbers, but uh, they're being talked about today in, in a way that I don't think they really want to be talked about. No, no. Um, I, I'm going to try to make this my last thing to say on, on the wheel thing. Cause I really don't want to talk about it any more than this, but uh, it's funny though, not funny, but the way you read the situation is pretty, I think it's pretty spot on, except for the fact, I don't think she said a word to will. I think uh, the looks were enough. Like um, in the stuff that I have read today, but you got to know that, this probably has been building with Jada for a while because, you know, back in 2016 when Chris Rock hosted, he had that joke about it then. Apparently in his in his tour set, he has a couple of jokes about it in that. And then you go with this one and 
I mean, I knew that Jada had a hair condition. I couldn't quite remember that was alopecia, but I knew it was a hair condition. I would figure he would know. And particularly as somebody pointed out that, you know, Chris Rock is the one, he made a entire documentary on black woman's hair. He would think he would be, he would know that that can be a sensitive subject, particularly, even if he didn't know she had a hair condition, if he looks at her, she has shaved her hair all off. Maybe not, maybe not go there. And then uh, for further context into this, you know, Will's been on this whole tour with his book and, Apparently in the book, he's like said, like his, like his big, deep fear from, from childhood when he watched uh, some horrible things happen to his mother from her father, the fact that he froze and couldn't do anything. And that his biggest fear is being viewed as like a dude, like, uh, like sort of like a coward to like the women that love and respect him. And I think all of that came out in that one moment she didn't have to say a word. He just saw how she was looking. And he's and he's really been trying to be open and honest and more like the will that he really is. And I think all of that came together in that moment. And he walked up and slapped the dude in the face. Uh, is, it, is it right? No. Should he have done it? No. Would I have done it? Hell no. Uh, but I understand. Now, will he have consequences for that? Sure, he should. Should it be anything involving losing his Oscar? No, I don't think it should be that. Um, I, honestly, I think if if those uh, chuckleheads weren't scattered across the arena, they could have came together and been like, well, we got to throw him out. And you throw him out and you kind of cut out this whole what do we do about it thing. Yeah, he still wins the Oscar, but he's not there to, to, to get it. He misses out on the biggest moment of his career because he created this moment of his career. That should have been punishment enough. But, you know, all things weren't there. Um, but I don't think they can I don't think they can or should take the Oscar from him, particularly with their history of people that they've given Oscars to after they've done heinous crap like years, heinous crap years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking yeah, of Roman. you're talking about the Polanski thing yeah yeah and even they I think they removed him from the academy but they did it after they gave him one what for uh, the pianist or something and that yeah, and was they, and they also uh, they also removed him uh, they also removed um, they removed Weinstein. Uh, Woody Allen did they remove Woody Allen I knew they removed uh, Harvey Weinstein I thought it was only two I thought it was just Polanski and and uh, Harvey Weinstein, but uh, still Harvey. I mean Polanski when he won his last Oscar, he won it 13 years after he fled the U.S. for his uh, you know, his sexual assault on children, and then they they only removed her from the Academy four years ago. So they have no like moral ground to stand on with removing his Oscar, but they're. There probably should be some form of punishment, some reconciliation. He's already started that with his apology, which it was done in, you know, the the notes app and put up on Instagram. But I thought it was, you know, it's heart. I I felt it was heartfelt. And it came Did after he had time to think about heartfelt? it. So I do think the tears were heartfelt. I don't think oh. when you when you have the tears matched with what he's saying, I can see why people might not 
think that, but I think I think his giving his speech in the moment, he's trying to find the things to say. He's still sort of in the moment. And I think it's a mixture of a, the the joy of the moment, understanding what he did moments ago, dealing with emotions from that, the anger, the frustration, the shame, all of that. So I think those tears are real. And I and I think that's the best speech you can get out of him, even though it probably doesn't reflect exactly what he wanted to say. This statement that he put out probably oh. reflects that more. No, and the thing is, honestly, the Denzel thing is the most, <laughs> the biggest thing that people are pulling from that speech about being at your highest point is when the devil comes for your hardest. Um, but like, that speech could have been so much better, man. Like, if you, you take this incident away from it, and it's probably going to end up being one of the greatest Oscar speeches in recent memory, and that got sidetracked and derailed, just like the entire uh, show got sidetracked and derailed. So, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm, that's kind of how I feel about the whole situation. I, I, we'll see what happens from here, but. I mean, this, the, the slap has happened. It was an outrageous moment in uh, Oscar's history, but well, we all I mean, got to move on this, from it. We've had the streaker, right? We've had a couple of streakers in Oscar history. <laughs> we had, uh, we had, you know, uh, Marlon Brando not show up to receive an Oscar and send a Native American in his place to make a political statement. Oh, see, okay. So that's one of the things that I saw the clip of her getting the speech giving the speech i didn't know why i didn't know who she was why i remember her but i remember her saying at the end uh something about uh thanking marlon brando or something to the effect so i just thought she didn't want it i didn't know that's why she was up there yeah he he sent a he knew he was going to win and so he sent a native american woman in there to enter in his place to give as a representative of his to give the speech to accept the award so that she could use it as a moment to talk about her people and the oppression of the of the Native American people, and at the hands of the uh, at the hands of the white folk. So, like, we we've been through some. We go back and go back and watch call the bowling bowling for Columbine um, acceptance speech <laughs> that old boy gives. Like, we've seen some controversial like moments in the history of the Oscars. Like, this is just another, another big one. But, uh, but Chad, let's, uh, let's talk about the host here. What did you think of the uh, monologues? And, uh, and I say monologues because they pretty much gave everybody at least one. And they had a joint one. Um, what did you think of the monologues? What did you think of the tone and tenor of the humor? And was this better or worse than I saw your boobs? <laughs> um, so... Because just, just just for reference, the Seth MacFarlane hosted Oscars are my low bar for like the lowest of the low that the Academy can get. Not, not even the uh, James Franco one. That's that's above that. Yes, uh, it's even because like at least Anne Hathaway is trying. True. At least Anne Hathaway has a passion and a love for the Oscars. Franco was just high as shit. <laughs> And just didn't care and was just till duting his way through reading a teleprompter. I have no problem with that. Like the way the McFarlane 
And it's not his fault, really. The Academy hired him and then was shocked, shocked that the dude who created Family Guy had a certain kind of humor that he brought to the show. <laughs> and it's like, no, these two things don't go together. Your brand, your elitist, so-called elitist brand is not what he is. So like, and then you add in the I saw your boobs, which includes a mont- is a montage of, you know, uh, uh, pans to women who have had their boobs ex- exposed in film, some of which included women who had had their breasts exposed in rape scenes and incest scenes, by the way. Um, you know, not great. So yes, the Seth MacFarlane, two, I think that was 2013, that bar is really low. Okay. Well, they're not, they're not that low. Um, you know, I thought they were fine. Um, I don't think the way that it was structured or some of the setups or jokes that were given put them in the best position. I thought when when they were up there on stage kind of, you know, riffing a little bit, it it went it went well. But I mean, they had the I think they had the opening monologue, which is fine. They had that like middle monologue where Amy Schumer's dressed up as Spider-Man that was kind of fine. And then they each had like one or two on their own. But honestly, like there, there's like an hour between the last time we saw a host and like the time Amy Schumer came up after the whole Will Smith thing happened. It was a long time where we didn't see any of them. And as I think back on the show, I think there are large, large swaths of time where we don't see any of them. And in that case, I mean, you could just go back to not having a host if you're going if your your hosts are only going to be up there what for maybe two minutes every hour of a three and a half hour. Actually, this one is like three hours and forty minutes uh, show. So I thought they did fine for what they were given. I thought they were given some duds uh, like the the museum thing. It was nice to see the museum. The setup kind of sucked. Um, the thing with Regina Hall with the guys that she brought up on stage, I didn't mind it, but I saw I saw some people, particularly women, that thought they were trying to make her out to. I mean, the jokes, the way that that position made her out to be what you know Neanderthals think of as like a slut or something like that. So I can understand people's hesitation with that and. I mean, Amy Schumer was, I don't remember her, I don't remember her one standout set besides the thing, well, she had the thing with uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, which people thought was real, and that she was really, like, disregard, like disregarding Kirsten Dunst in any form or fashion, so I think the things they did collectively were good, I think the things they did individually all had had, had less, elements, there, there were elements, there were elements of everything that was done that, that worked and elements that didn't. For me, it was extremely hard to sit there and watch these three women, particularly Amy Schumer, who, like her, again, her brand of comedy is just different. And then you, Wanda's comedy is just different. And like, I would much have preferred you do a three hour act format where one of them takes the out each hour. That's what I thought they were going to do, yeah. Which is rather than what you did, which is put them all together 
and then like each give them a monologue and then bring them back together and each give them a, like it just didn't there, there was no rhythm or flow or pace um my favorite joke would have to be amy schumer's joke about uh aaron sorkin doing a movie about i love lucy and the reason that that's funny to me is because she wrote she directed a i love lucy documentary this year and um that not a lot of people saw and not a lot of people knew exist no exist but it does and so it was quite funny for me to sit there and be like yeah i get that joke no one else does but i do you love lucille ball and you made a documentary about her and then this dude made a movie and more people cared about his movie than they did about your documentary cool um give me more wanda sykes man like i don't i don't care what i have to do i don't care if it's an hbo special like just just give me more of her like that i i've wanted that for like 20 years now like um the other thing that i'll say is that it's also really hard for me to watch the oscars and watch the hosting categories or they have the host presenting when Maya Rudolph is shown blatantly in the first 10 minutes of the show Mm -hmm. and I'm like and I'm like you've seen as presenters what Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph or uh, Tina Fey and Maya Rudolph can do together paired on screen it is magic chemistry and you have ignored this for five years (laughs) Like, it is the thing that is standing there right in front of your face. The Emmy's highest rated and best received shows have been when Annie Poehler and Tina Fey host the, host the Emmys. Like, you've seen Maya Rudolph do this over and over and over again. Why, do, why not take the hint, man? So, like, that, that was kind of the frustration for me there. Now, granted, again, I only saw about 20 minutes of the show. So, including Beyonce's god-awful, like, neon bright opening act oh yeah you'll get some hate for that one i am not touching that at all i will say that the best joke of the night amy schumer did have the best joke of the night when um the 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 golden globes joke i can't i can't remember the exact setup oh the the gold yeah the the golden globe setup of a of we could all be dead on arrival like the 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 um in memoriam will include the uh the golden Globes. yeah that because they're now resting in peace and everybody's like, ooh. And it hit me because it's like, you guys are on the verge of death too. So why are we poking fun at the film uh Foreign Film Critics Association? Oh yeah, that uh yeah, those the those numbers that I saw today, that's like even with all this excitement, it's not looking good for you either. But that joke is I mean still it's funny. better, but as wait, oh, what no okay, so what numbers did you see? Uh, the numbers I saw said 51 to 53% higher than last year, a 55, 51 to 53% increase overnight from last year, but still lower than the 2019 or 2018 show, which would be okay. pre-pandemic. Okay. The, those, those. Um, I mean, we, the, we I all think... kind of figured, we all kind of figured that if they did just a, a route standard, a route standard broadcast, they would, increased viewership because you couldn't get much lower than what they got last year so we all knew that they were going to go up it was just a matter of by how much and when you increase your viewership by half that's leaps that should be a good leap but you know the people who run abc are like i'm gonna have an entire pre-show and act like no awards are being given out 
okay so this is a, this is a situation where percentages do not help you tell the whole story so because i knew the percentages sound real good when you say it grew 50 percent from uh from last year that does sound good but then when you take into account that last year was at an all-time low of 10 million viewers so increasing 15 percent only gets you to 15 million viewers when before uh in 18 they were at 26 million v- viewers so that is well, still those... well i i know like i mean well, i mean I know... one of the oh no go ahead so like i can tell you from personal experience it's hard to get this get the oscar streaming like you have to have hulu you you have to have Hulu because even if you just have the ABC app on whatever uh, platform device you're using, it won't allow you to stream the, the the Oscars. You have to have Hulu, which or you have to have YouTube TV, which means that you either have to go sign up for free or if you burned like me, I burned my seven day trial last year, um, signing up for YouTube TV to get the Oscars. I now have to go and sign up for Hulu for seven days and do it that way you know it's not the easiest thing in the world to get streaming if you don't have cable and that's asinine (laughs) that's absolutely asinine in a world in which you have disney plus but streaming is a good point because i i never think of streaming in regards to the oscars because to me the oscars is such a such a staple for network tv like streaming shouldn't even factor in but that is a good point. Right. But I, if you don't have cable. Well, if you so if you don't have cable, but you're home and you're not trying to you can act, you can still catch it over the air. You, you have to go get like the over the air antenna, but technically you don't need cable to watch it. But there are a lot of people that just don't have that. They, they just people that are younger. They don't than have us, rabbit ears. Yeah, they they <laughs> they watch everything on their computers or their phones. So, yeah, streaming is a thing for them. And we don't know what the streaming numbers are. We're only, we've only ever talked about it in terms of TV ratings, but what are the streaming numbers? Does that make it look any more appealing? Does the, does, do the streaming numbers make up for what they've lost in the ratings? The way they talk about it, I don't think they do. And considering who the people are that are probably going to be streaming and what they really like, they're not really into movies or at least these type of movies. So it probably doesn't help as much, but it's something to consider. But I think that, but just the fact that we only talk about ratings with the Oscars kind of illustrates what the kind of the Oscars problem, because it's viewed as, I know for me, it's viewed as like a traditional uh, terrestrial show that you can catch over the air and people that, like it are people that are going to catch it over the air so streaming shouldn't be as important however considering everything is going to streaming it should be as or more important but we don't ever hear about those numbers so it's just you know it's just something once you said streaming it kind of just made me go down that it's extremely difficult for me to grab it and it shouldn't be like abc as a whole should not be that difficult to stream but specifically the oscars it shouldn't be that hard it really should not be that hard. And, you know, 
I, we can talk all the time and we can go around in circles about the kinds of films that are nominated and in drawing interest. But man, like Apple did the right thing. They did what Netflix didn't do. They went to Sundance. They bought a little indie movie. They promoted the hell out of it. And it's not just any indie movie. It's a universally accessible movie. It's not a deep meditative thought piece on imperialism like Dune. Like it's not a a multi-layered color commentary on motherhood like uh, The Last Daughter. It's not a, uh, a deep, a thinly veiled attack on toxic masculinity and an and oppression of uh, of homosexuals as um as power of the, the power of the dog is like it's none of those things it's the most universally literally if you took the swearing and the sex out and disney made that movie you would say it was a standard disney movie mm-hmm. like coda is a much more accessible film than parasite is honestly as much as i love parasite because no one's gonna like the ability of the average American for, in, in, in um, Wichita, Kansas, to sit down and watch a th- almost three-hour uh, foreign language film with subtitles is very difficult, especially one that is like designed, like structured as an onion where there are layers and you peel back the layers the deeper you go into the film. Like, Coda is not that. And... Like, and yet almost no one's going to pick up their free Apple Plus subscription that they get with their iPhones and watch it. And it's like, I don't think nominating Indiana Jones 5 would have gotten them any further. No, they, they wouldn't have. And honest, I, um, honestly, uh, Coda winning, even though I haven't seen it, I've heard an, enough about it from people you've talked about it. I think Coda is the type of movie that um more people would actually believe like this is the type of movie we want to see more like in the in the running for oscars it's not i'm I'm guessing it's i mean it has its own artistic value but the story is very relatable it's a story we all know it's a story like just listen it involves music It, it involves music that you know it involves you know a coming of age story like yeah i still personally think that both Lady Bird and Booksmart are better films in terms of coming of age. But this one happened to be nominated for Best Picture and had a legitimate shot at winning. And when I when you factor in ranked choice voting, Chad, that's why I came, it wasn't so much their success on the, on the circuit, it was the fact that it's ranked choice voting and it's only for Best Picture that I was like, they're like, this is, like that's how you get to spotlight as a best picture winner. It's how you get to, you know, the artist as a best picture winner. It just ultimately becomes what movie do the most people like and not which one do the majority of the people love in the Academy. And, you know, Coda is very easily a film that can end up second or third on your ballot and end up on a second or third on enough ballots to, you know, to end up winning. And so that's that was my logic in picking it. And that's why I think it won. I'm just going to be interested to see what kind of a push Apple gives it now that it actually has the award. And another year 
where Netflix goes home, goes back to the offices in Burbank the next day and is like, what happened to us? (laughs) Well, I mean, their best hope is that having Apple win maybe breaks the seal. And yeah, they maybe they should have been the first one. Second time they've had a best that the second time they've got had the person win best director and not win best picture. But all before they they could still it still felt like the academy's like we don't want to give it to you because you're streaming. Now they've given it they didn't give it to Netflix, but Apple has it. So they they've broken the seal. So maybe next go around Netflix won't have such an uphill battle because they can just be like you've already done it for one streaming if we're if if it's us then let it be us and apple might be right there back again in the, in the conversation next year with killers of the flower moon because you know the academy loves at least nominating scorsese movies if not outright giving them statues oh yeah they they might they might we'll have to see what that one looks like I would not be surprised if Jesse Plummins ends up uh, back on the Oscar circuit again next year for that film, but that's just me. So, Chad, let's uh, let's talk about my predictions. Let's talk about the scorecard. Um, was riding a pretty hot streak there with Dune uh, for a while, and I got the eyes of Tammy Faye correct, and then I got called into work, so I don't know what happened after that, except for what you texted me, and I couldn't remember off the top of my head what each one of my predictions were. So... How did I do, Chad? All right. So we're going to go. Um, this is the order we went when we recorded last time. So we're just going to do the same thing. All right. So writing uh, original screenplay, uh, you picked Belfast and you got that one right. Uh, for adaptive screenplay, you picked Coda. You got that right. I wish I, I wish I could remember the order these went in the show because uh, you weren't doing so hot when the show started. You kind of you kind of leveled out in the middle, and you wanted big in the end. But I was kind of worried about you for a little bit, and then the slap happened, and all that went out the window. And I didn't care. <laughs> all right, new drinking uh, game for our new drinking game for our foreign listeners. Please take a <laughs> shot of alcohol every time one of us says the slap, and let us know how that goes for you. Um. I'm going to try to make sure that you don't take any more drinks on my account. Anyway, all right. So next we have uh, visual effects. You pick Spider-Man. I laughed at you then. I laugh at you now. It was Dune. Um, then we have sound. You picked uh, The Power of the Dog. Again, it was Dune. This is when, this is early in the show. I remember these. This was early in the show. And every time well, somebody they, they said swept the pre-show, right? Yeah. Like yeah, the, the, the awards that were taken off the telecast. Oh, on that for a second. So they took those awards off the show and then put played the the tape versions during the show. And yes, while it was truncated, you still put like they didn't just say shows you who won. They actually showed them give a little bit of the speech. And considering how long the damn show was, it's like, why not just put them on the show? Why do we have to do this rigmarole? Because you because this is a four-hour show, Chad, not a three and a half hour show. Well, kids are should. all about the three and a half hour show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh watching this with a kid, 
I mean, she was she was actually checked in until about two and a half hours. Then it was like, I'm still I'm just here until this is over because I said I was going to do it. Otherwise, I would be in bed. So, you know, that's how that goes. But that was what once once they started playing those other awards, I'm like, why take them off the show? I get it. But still. All right. Um, Best short film. Live action. Uh, you picked. Goodbye. I wish I had the whole name. The one with goodbye in it. The long goodbye. Shorthand. The long goodbye. You picked that, and that is what won. Uh, then there is short film animated, and actually, I didn't check that one off because I think that happened right around the time as all the craziness. All right, you picked um, Robin. Robin. And the winner was the windshield wiper. That's right. That's the, um, I remember their acceptance because they were talking about making adult animated things and I was applauding. All right. Next we have production design. The production design. You had West Side Story. The winner was, of course, Dune. All right. Then for music, the best song. It was No Time to Die, which we saw performed at the show itself. For original score, you picked The Power of the Dog. And the winner was Hans Zimmer for Dune, who wasn't even there. Uh, next, we have Makeup. Like when, As soon as this category came up, I'm like, there's no other way that it's anything than uh, Tammy Faye, and it was. Yeah, because, again, as my logic, like, to Jessica Chastain's credit, and I love that speech, by the way, to Jessica Chastain's credit, um, she had been talking up the hair and makeup people the entire tour through the entire thing, award season. So there was, when you have your star behind you, it really helps. Yeah. And it was justified. I, I thought that was a, a good one. So for international film, uh, our theory remains the same. If you're nominated for that and best picture, you're going to win a national film. So that was Drive My Car. All right. Editing, you picked Tick, Tick, Boom. It was, again, Dune. Uh, documentary short, you picked the We Were Bullies. I think that's the name of it. But it was the, the winner was the Queen of Basketball. All right. Documentary feature, it was... Uh, this is where I shouldn't have gone on shorthand. Summer or so, and it was summer or so. Questlove is an Oscar winner. He is, and unfortunately, he won his Oscar directly following the incident. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Um, all right. So for costume design, we had you had West Side Story. The winner was Cruella. Which, is, which was which was second to me because that movie doesn't work like the fashion design element of that movie is critical to making that whole film yeah yeah it's it's that movie doesn't work if the fashion doesn't work so i was good i i kind of was with you on west side story but i was good with cruella i understood why that was that picked and i think it was a good choice okay cinematography this is i think this is the only one you picked for dune and that one was correct. Uh, animated feature, you picked Mitchells versus the Machines. 
Of course, it was Encanto. Uh, supporting actress, of course, you picked uh, Your Heart's Desire, Kirsten Dunst. And it was who I picked. I told you it was going to happen. I, I knew they couldn't, I, they couldn't not do the symmetry of having uh, Ariana DeBose win for West Side Story. Then we have Best Actress. It was Jessica Chastain, which we've already mentioned. Uh, I'm going to come back up. Uh, for directing, you picked Kenneth Branagh. And it went to Jane Campion, who apparently had enough hand on board to, to get that one across the finish line. All right. Uh, supporting actor, it is uh, Coster. I think that's his, how you say his last name. From from Coda and like I almost cried during his his whole thing because when he won uh, because he is deaf and that everybody knew to do this was really great instead of doing the normal applause they stood up and did the the little hand wave things because that's applause for people that can't hear and the whole crowd was doing it and his whole speech they had he he signed it. Uh, <laughs> The look, the grandma from um, what's that movie from last year? Maneri. Maneri. She she presented that award, um, and she is adorable. She came she came and uh, when when she read before she read the name she signed. I think she either signed his name or she signed. It was something in sign language, so we all knew it was him. And then they did that, and when he was going up to when he was about to speak. She knew he needed his hand, so she took the war back. She was just adorable through this whole thing. And then he signed his speech, and it has an interpreter telling us what was going on. And that was just a really, 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 really great moment. I wish more people talked about that moment. I thought it was really special. So just wanted to touch on that, and you actually got that one right. Uh, best actor, of course, we know it was Big Willie style. And for best picture, you pulled that one off too, and you picked Coda. And I think it might be a mildly an upset, but I think in the end, it'll probably be the best choice. This is the kind of thing that I enjoy. I enjoy a show where we have a diversity of films awarded. I'm not so big on the idea of us having one film sweep like 11 Academy Awards. It looked that way. Like early in the show, uh, Dune was winning everything. I know when I would peek at yeah, Twitter, Dune we... ended up with six, but Dune, but Dune's, but Dune six is mostly uh, it is mostly technical awards. Yeah, but uh, there there were some people like you know because um, Denny wasn't nominated for best director. It was like. If Dune wins all these awards and somehow wins Best Picture, and this guy wasn't nominated for Best Director, that it kind of is a a bad look for the Academy. It didn't turn out that way, but early in the show, that you know, people were kind of wondering, and they they can have those thoughts and whatnot. But uh, I do agree. I think there are you know, Dune's your fan favorite, your science fiction one. Um, you even got your your Steven Spielberg project got one. You got uh, the Power of the Dog with 
the Netflix kind of typical kind of indie thing with their director, a woman, the first time in the history of the awards that a woman has won best director in consecutive years, which that is great that it happened. It is a damn shame that it's only happening now, but it goes, it looking at the winners, it does look like a diverse group of types of movies that they got recognized. So that, that is something. Um, and a lot of these winners are, are movies that people have heard of. So I just, you know. I just much prefer it. I just much prefer it when you can't go down a checklist. I've lived through a bunch of, of nominees uh, for best picture and, and uh, for, for the Oscars where the team, the film that's nominated the most doesn't end up winning the most Oscars. And that happens most of the time. But there have been a, a number of times over the years where it has been the case. And I don't, I don't prefer one film to sweep because if one film sweeps, then you're basically saying that film was so far superior to every other film that was nominated that it, that it you know, deserved to be recognized that way. And that's, there are very few films I feel like reach that far. Yep, I would, uh, I would agree with that. All right, so Chad, let's talk about the best picture win. Did the Academy get it right? Um, so this is where my lack of knowledge on all of the films comes into play. What I, from what I know about Coda, this is the kind of film that I would want to see win because I, I think it's it's on Apple, so it has that that independent movie kind of feel, but the story, just from what I've heard about the story, the story is going to resonate with every, with everyone. You, you know, what the story is for a lot of people, you're going to be able to figure out what, where the story is going to go, but seeing people that you don't normally see living the same kind of very familiar existence, I think people would, I think you'll get more people that will gravitate and appreciate this movie where some of the other movies yeah, they might be techni more technically sound or have uh, these accomplishments as like artistic pieces. But I do think that, you know, it, there should be movies. Are, we like movies because movies are, can be shared experiences. And I think a movie like this is built to have more of those shared experiences through all people, as opposed to people that are looking just as, at film strictly as art because not everybody's going to do that but this one you can look at it there are going to be those artistic people that like it there's going to be those general people that like it there are going to be people that don't even know what it is but when they see it they're going to feel that familiarity and they'll gravitate to it so i think when it was announced i was like i think this is this should have been the one to be announced i mean it's Every filmmaker has their accessible and more less accessible and more accessible films. Um, I've argued that the reason that I've seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more times than I've seen any other Tarantino film is because it's the most accessible. It's just a straight hang up, hang up movie. You can't really 
Tarantino's stamp of violence and bloodshed isn't on that film to the final five minutes. So like for that, for the hangout, like it, it just kind of works for me. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson is the same way. Leckerish Pizza is more accessible than The Master or any of the other films that he's done. Um, you know, it, not every director is like Spielberg where you have multiple films that are both broad-based in nature and also very you know niche and pacific but like you know to me accessibility of the audience is a very important thing at this moment in time and i think that them doing that thing with coda which again as i said it's it's there's nothing complicated about it there's nothing different about it it's just if you just subbed out deaf people for asian people or uh, you know, African-American people or, you know, any number of different minority groups, it would have still resonated the same way because ultimately the power of, of music and the power of a coming of an age story will always appeal to people because they're universal experiences that no matter whether you're, you know, white in 50 or whether you're black in 70 or whether you're Asian in 15, you, uh, you 25, You've all been through something similar and you all have similar experiences. Maybe not the exact same, but similar. And you can identify with what this girl is going through in the struggle with her family and being torn, torn of both worlds, uh, both of hearing and of deaf and of living her own life and, and, and helping her family. So um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not as complicated as tragedy of Macbeth. Certainly it's not, all these other things, but it's it's simple and it's good and it's kind and it's decent. And I think in this crazy mixed up world of ours that we're living in right now, especially giving all the clamoring over what happened at the Oscars that has overshadowed this win, um, I would say that, you know, it was a much needed victory. Yeah. You've seen all these movies, so I, I think your thoughts are, are, you know, better reflected here than mine. But I do, I, I agree with that. I think this is going to be a movie that people will, will see deserve the Oscar when they finally see it. And I think more people will see it because it won the Oscar, and those people will like it, and they'll tell even more people about it. So I, I think there was a good choice in the end. I really, genuinely, Chad hope that they abandon ranked choice voting for best picture at some point because if you want to want to really tinker with the rules and tinker with inclusivity in terms of the kind of movies that are being represented that's where you do it you you think you don't just tinker at the margins of like what is what is eligible you you make it to where like any and all films, as long as they receive X number of percentage of the vote, can win. You do it for every other category. Like, why not do it for the one that matters the most? Because in the end, you're not getting everybody's first choice. You're getting the majority of the people's second or third choice. And that's just not the way that best is supposed to be. I mean, if you're going to be an uninclusive body or a... Uh, if you're going to be a body that judges art, you can't just, you know, be monolithic in the sense that, like, you proclaim that 
everybody in your body feels that one film is best. And if you're aiming for, for the film that the majority of the people find as the best, it shouldn't be the majority of the people's second or third choice. It shouldn't be the one that shows up on the name that shows up on the most ballots, you know, regardless of position. It should be the one that shows up at the top the most of those ballots. And you can go back, and THR does this every single year. You can go read those honest ballots and you can read some of these doofus voters' thoughts on these films, and you can see that like you, you can make the argument that some of them shouldn't be shouldn't hold a vote based on what they're telling the Hollywood Reporter anonymously about these things. But in the end, it's the Academy's say-so about who gets in, who votes, and for how long. And, like, this is the body they've chosen. You know, we, we go through the Cannes Film Festival. We go through the Toronto International Film Festival. Those juries change every year. Mm-hmm. And the slate of films that is presented to those juries changes every year. This isn't like that. <laughs> Once you win an Academy Award, like Jodie Foster won a, uh, Jenna, uh, J- J- uh, Jody Foster and Anna Paquin won Oscars when they were very young. And they, as a result of winning Oscars very young, have a lifetime vote in the Academy. So like they get automatic membership because they won. And on top of that, they also get lifetime voting privileges. So, like, you know, it, it's it's just I think that that we need to the the academy really needs to stop and take a look at the ranked choice voting. And and I know they've tinkered with things in the past with the ten, the ten max and the five minimum and the you know the the way you formulate how many films get nominated. But I really do think we need to just straight up go back to. The, the film that receives the most votes from the most people in the Academy wins. Yeah, when you when you lay it out like that, I understand what ranked choice, what ranked choice voting is, and uh, I understand why it's used in like elections and things, but when you put it like that, that you basically have a chance of not getting a consensus of people's number one, but a consensus of like they're number two or three, just because they sent, just because of how it's laid out. I get where you're coming from with not wanting ranked choice for it. Um, I honestly don't know enough about it one way or another to like really like stomp one way or another, but I, I see where you're coming from with it. Because if you do just do straight up popular vote, it's, the one that ends up on the first in the first place spot on the majority of the ballots that the academy hands out and gets back and that to me should be the definition of what is best the the film that won the most votes from the academy overall and the number of first place votes the academy in the academy overall not the film that won the most votes overall regardless of spot the number the the film that won the most number one votes and um, you know that's that's the way that I think it w- it should be. But at the same time, I do acknowledge that creates a, that doing it this way creates a pathway for films like Parasite, like um, like Parasite, like uh, Spotlight to get nominated and to win. 
So I understand that it's a double-edged sword. I also want to take an opportunity to once again remind the Academy that they need to be fully transparent and we need to see the numbers. Because like that helps people know how close of a race something is. And mm. knowing the numbers might generate some interest, you know, in your, uh, you know, for example, if you were posting the results with the live, with the actual percentages live on oscars.org as the results are being re revealed, like immediately after a category, you present a category, a uh, present a category, you give the award and person gives a speech and then they go to commercial break before they go to commercial break or while they're in commercial break, they send, they put on the website, okay, here was the, we just handed out the award for best supporting actress. Here was the vote breakdown. This person won. Here were the percentages. And that can also give you a good indication for what the rest of the show is going to be. Um, but I, I think that they should release those numbers. I mean, because in the end, it doesn't really matter. It's an internal poll anyway. But like, I'd like to know how, by how many votes the Coda guy won. <laughs> was it a close race? Was it a wide race? How, how, how many people had Coda on their ballot as opposed to Power of the Dog? Because we've been told that it was a, you know, a close neck and neck race all throughout award season. Well, how close of a race really was it? You know, because like that, there, those are things that I think the Academy could go a long way in doing. And I know that we're not supposed to talk about this lap, but I, I seriously think that there will be a donation made by Will and Jada Smith to the Academy Museum or the Academy Future Directors Fund or something mm -hmm. that is seen as a, you know, quote unquote, fine for his, uh, for his actions. So that'll benefit the Academy too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll get something out of it. I mean, I did, like I said earlier, I do think there should be some active contrition, but. And that helps the Academy. It helps the museum. It helps, you know, future directors. It helps the work that the Academy is doing. And it's him admitting that what he did was wrong, which, you know, is. Helpful. He's already done that. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. All right, Chad, that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger fan. And at the Mets Theory. Thank you very much, and have a happy WrestleMania weekend, everybody, as we head on the road to Dallas, where Stone Cold Steve Austin will stun people for the fifth WrestleMania since he retired. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening.